The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they, produce, they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. Beautiful, thank you, Andrew. Good morning. morning. How you all doing? Good. Good. I feel uh, honoured and privileged to be able to be here and share God's word with you uh, this morning, but even more so after Jimmy told me I get to break in a new uh, pulpit here, so um, that's a a very special uh, privilege that I'm sure few get. I almost felt like maybe I should go back to the music stand, is that what you used to use, just to, you know, make sure you get the first run at it, mate? Uh, It's good. You got to see a picture of my dear wife, Rebecca. We've been married for a bit over 13 years. We have uh, four children. Caleb is my eldest, and he's 10. I have Ezekiel, who is 8. A daughter, Harper, who is the flower between a bunch of thorns. Um, And she's almost 6. And then my youngest is named Haddon, um, and he is uh, about one and a half. Uh, I wanted to call him Spurgeon, um, but my wife said Spurgeon Sliger. The poor kid will end up with a lisp. So let's just um, <laughs> stick with the middle name there and uh, then move on. So there we go. A little bit of an intro about me. Uh, as Andrew said, most people call me Sly. I kind of like being a walking oxymoron that I can introduce myself as Pastor Sly, and people just don't know what to do with that a lot of the time, particularly outside of, uh, of the church. Um, Something else that's uh, interesting to know about me and my uh, family is me and my wife have this wonderful ability to be able to kill plants. Um, Over the years, so many people have tried to green up our home by uh, giving us a house plant to look after and care for, and we just manage to kill them. Even those ones say, don't worry, sligers, you won't be able to kill this one. No, it'll be dead in a short period of time, I guarantee you, in my home. Now, um, and I actually learned that the opposite of a green thumb, you know, when people are good with plants and care for them, is a black thumb. That's definitely me. Like, look up the ditch dictionary definition, you're going to see a picture of this pretty mug, um, under black thumb, because uh, that's just one of my, my special gifts. I'd almost call it, call it a spiritual gift, but, you know, God wants things to grow uh, rather than to die and wither. Um, I share that because we're going to see um, the, the great gardener of the spiritual things in our passage today, um, our awesome Father who cares for and uh, looks after um, the the people that are connected to his son, um, who is the vine, Jesus. But before we get into God's word, can I pray for a second? Love you guys to pray for me um, now and even through the message, need the Holy Spirit's help and empowering, um, and um, I'll pray for you. Uh, Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for uh, who you reveal yourself to be in the word. And we thank you particularly today for um, this passage where you declare yourself to be the vine. God, help us to understand more and more of what that means and how it impacts our life. Uh, Lord, help me to deliver your word faithful and work in me and through me that I would uh, proclaim truth about who you are clearly and in a way that ministers and encourages us, builds up our, our hearts um, in uh, a wonderful way and draws us closer to you, Lord Jesus. We pray this all in your name and for your glory. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. Uh, so one of these wonderful plants that we have been given over the years was a fiddle leaf fig, and we nicknamed him Frankie. Um, we like to name things in our house, just something our cars have names, our plants have names, just everything gets a uh, kind of a, a pet name. So Frankie the fiddle leaf fig um, was not looking so well after a short amount of time. Um, it was, I think it was a Christmas gift, and he made it through to the next Christmas, which is kind of like an anomaly already in my household. But then the leaves just started to drop off. I've got a brother-in-law who's great with gardening, so I was like, what's going on here? Like, not enough water, too much water? I at least know the basics. Um, and it, but he was like, uh, Sly, have you tried pruning it? And I was like, eh. Okay, pruning, don't know. I think I had to go and buy a pair of secateurs to be able to prune this. And at this point, like, Frankie is just a singular stalk. Like, that, that's it. There's no leaves. He's, you know, about this high. And I'm like, cool, I'll cut it. He told me to cut it at an angle. That was all I knew. Cut this thing about in half. Um, now, where I was cutting Frankie was just outside on our little patio area. And there happened to be a bunch of empty pot plants with dirt in them where plants once were, uh, not so long in, in the past. And so I got the top and I shoved it in one of the empty pot plants and I left the bottom that's newly snipped off um, there, put some water on, walked away. Now, miraculously, Frankie started growing and both these stalks produced leaves in a short amount of time. I was blown away. I would love to say that it's got a happy ending and Frankie's still going, but he's not. Um, and so... Uh, that's just the way it is with uh, this little black thumb. Anyway, as I, I said, the, the reason I kind of share these gardening analogies is because we're looking at, at Jesus and the, the uniqueness of this I am statement is actually really cool because Jesus doesn't just declare something about himself, but something about his heavenly father who he calls to be the gardener. So we're going to be talking about uh, a, an analogy, unpacking what it uh, is for Jesus to be the vine, what that means for us and what it means for God as our father, uh, as our father and his father to be um, the, the gardener of that vine. So you, you may already know, but Jesus' intention with um, these I am statements, he makes seven of them through the Gospel of John, is to reveal his own character and nature. He wants the people, the hearers, and even us as the readers, thousands of years later, to know more about who he is, to get an insight into who Jesus is. But Jesus actually had a dual purpose in these statements. Um, there's the kind of the big key, knowing I am statements through the Gospel of John, but there's also a number of moments where Jesus says, I am, not attached to one of these particular uh, uh, sayings like, I am the vine, I am the shepherd, those kind of things, but where he just declares, I am. And what he's doing both in these moments and those moments is declaring himself, equating himself at, as equal with Yahweh, the Old Testament God. He is declaring himself to be the I am in flesh. Remember um, all the way back, if you're familiar with the scriptures in uh, Exodus, when God revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush, what did he say? I am. I am the God that has always existed. Jesus is using the, the same words in this moment to say, me and the Old Testament God that you know and follow. And remember, his original hearers were Israelite people. He wanted them to know that he is one and the same with the God that they worship, the God in the, he is God in the flesh, God in a bod, as I like to say. Now, for a bit of context of this particular I am statement, it's part of a longer speech that Jesus gave during the Last Supper on the night before he died. Multiple chapters in uh, John's Gospel cover this, and he actually makes a couple of I am statements in it. But the I am has some unique aspects to it. One, it's the only one that Jesus kind of uh, doesn't just speak about him 
and the role he fulfills, but also about his father. And it's a longer metaphor where he kind of unpacks um, some great detail about what this means. He doesn't want his disciples, who he is speaking to, the primary audience at that point, but also for other hearers, including us, to miss the point of what he's trying to say in this analogy. And Jesus is speaking about a connectedness that we need to have with him, a relationship, a close proximity that we are meant to have with Jesus. I hope that becomes really clear as we go through it. The other thing that's actually really cool about this uh, I am statement um, that for us as uh, hearers, readers in this day and age, we will easily miss is that Jesus actually is drawing from Old Testament metaphor, illustration that is used repeatedly when Israel is spoken about as being a vine. Now, most of the times when uh, Israel is spoken about as being the vine in the Old Testament, it's a place where it comes with a warning or a threat that they may be cut off from God's blessing and presence if they don't obey the covenant, if they don't remain in fellowship with God and doing all the, the bits and pieces that they had to do in that context to do that. So Jesus is kind of shining new light on this covenant, and in fact, he's proclaiming himself to be the true vine, the fulfillment of all that Israel is meant to be, was meant to be in their relationship with God. When Jesus says, I am the vine, he says, I am the fulfillment of all the Old Testament covenant, all the laws, all the things, and you, every little bit and piece that you are meant to do, I'm fulfilling that. And you can have the relationship with God that you were meant to have through doing those uh, covenantal requirements yourself by having a relationship with me. That's the big idea that Jesus is trying to, to get, off. He, uh, get across here. He is the vine that Israel was meant to be. And being united with him means that we can have covenant faithfulness that we can be in a right relationship with God, not because of anything that we can do, but because of everything that Jesus has done on our behalf. Jesus fulfills all the righteousness of the law so that we don't have to, because we couldn't. And just by being connected to him, just by being one of the branches on this vine, just by being in relationship with Jesus, we get his perfect righteousness. We get new life in him. And we get all the other the blessings that the Gospels share of and draw uh, our attention to and proclaim. It's good news. Something else that comes out repeatedly through our passage is this idea of fruit. Jesus speaks about fruitfulness. What, what does that mean? Like, is Jesus is expecting us to, you know, produce apples out of our hands or oranges from our hair? Or, like, what, what's the idea when Jesus says, be fruitful? Um, a wise man once said, somebody has said it better than you, so, um, you know, lean on them. I'm going to throw up a quote here from uh, R.C. Sproul that um, kind of highlights this idea of what is, um, what is going on when we're speaking about fruit in the New Testament. So, can you look over my big head and see that clearly on the screen? Great. Um, it says, The central emphasis on fruit in the New Testament has to do with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is the fruit of a changed life, a changed character, a character that is strengthened and nurtured by the source of holiness, Christ himself. If you've been in, in church for some time or you have the, you know, the privilege of attending uh, a fun Sunday school like uh, this, I didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't get that experience, but uh, you may know by memory uh, Galatians 5.22 speaks of the fruits of the Spirit, right? That's what we're, we're talking about here. This is the, the idea that those are the kind of things that should be being produced in the life of the believer. Anyone know the list? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the kind of fruit that the lives of followers of Jesus are meant to be marked by, are meant to be growing in our lives in increasing measure. The Word tells us we've been given everything for life and godliness, and so we should be growing in a likeness of Jesus, having the Holy Spirit produce fruit in our life that reflects the character and nature, not of us, not even of the church, but of Jesus Christ himself. 
That's what God wants to produce in our life through the Holy Spirit. And hopefully you'll see that really clearly as we go through um, this passage today. So let's uh, get into it. Hey, John 15 verse 1. And Jesus says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. In the original language, the the word that is used here for vine is the same in verse 5. Jesus is going to repeat this statement just a a couple of verses later on. Yet the the NLT has translated it differently. They use grapevine instead of vine. It's likely because that was one of the most common vines in their culture and and history. People knew what it was to cultivate and care for um, grapevines back in those days. But there's also the idea that what Jesus is trying to draw their attention to is all those Old Testament metaphors that we just talked about. All the places and spaces where Israel were referred to as the vine, Jesus wants those things to kind of come alive in their mind as he shares this analogy, as he declares this truth about his own character and nature. Something that the NLT has done uh, wonderfully here, and it's the, the addition in the, the original language, is they say, Jesus doesn't just say the vine, but he says the true vine. That's meant to trigger in their mind. This is actually the fulfillment of all the things that Israel was meant to be for the vine and all the warnings that we've been given of what will happen because we are not living the way that we should. And he fulfills those requirements. So now Jesus being the true vine means that anyone who puts their faith and trust in him can have a relationship with God that is, has all the requirements, all the obligations that we would need to fulfill to be right with God done in and through Jesus. Now that's, the gospel is such wonderful news when we think about that truth because you and I can't be good enough to have a relationship with God. There is nothing that we can do in and of our own strength to be able to earn God's favor or God's blessing. Now, if you've been a believer for some time, you, you will know this well. But if you're here today and don't know Jesus, know that, this is true, know that this is a wonderful truth that Scripture repeats over and over and over again. You do not have to earn God's favor and blessing. And in fact, no matter how hard you try, you can't. But Jesus did. And all you have to do is put your faith and trust in him and you can have a right relationship with God, a relationship that is so right, it is perfect because your saviour is perfect. And all you have to do is desperately cling to him throughout your life that will be filled with imperfections of following Jesus, but know that if you are connected to the vine, to the source of life, that you don't have to worry about your shortcomings and failings selling you short because your saviour doesn't have any. How good is that? And for me, (laughs) that's such good news then I need to remind myself of more times than I would like to admit. Hang on, just did. Okay. Um, A people that can have a close relationship with God, that are changed into his likeness by refining, by transformation, by the Holy Spirit working in us, and and is put here in this passage, pruned. The purpose and intention of that is for greater gospel growth, greater transformation into the likeness of Jesus. What Jesus is saying when he says, I am the true vine, is he says that by attaching ourselves to him, we are enabled to connect with his life, the source of true life, of of all spiritual and holy life. We can be connected to that or ultimate source of life itself, where all life began, was in Jesus Christ just speaking words into existence. And we can be connected to that just by putting our faith in Him. But the flip side of that is what? When we're not in a relationship with Jesus, there's a disconnection. There's a a, a separation And that disconnection is going to lead to a lack of power or to an unfruitfulness in our lives. Connection brings spirit-filled empowerment and growth. Disconnection brings lack of life, lack of power, a flailing of not knowing which way is up 
You see, this I am statement also has the second element to it, that Jesus speaks about his father as being the gardener. Our good and perfect heavenly father knows each and every uh, element of the vine and all the branches, all the attachment, and he knows how to care for it best. As someone who is a horrible gardener, that is such great and good news that God knows how to care for his people. He knows how to care for his church. He knows how to care for each and every one of us that are connected with Christ and knows what will be best for our lives, not in the sense of health, wealth, and prosperity, but in the sense of what will bring most glory to him, what will bring most kingdom fruit, what will bring most um, a transformation so that we can live and look like Jesus. The Father takes care of the vine and its branches. He knows what to cut off and what to prune. He's considering the ultimate health and fruitfulness of the vine when he does so. Just to touch on that before we move on for a second, this idea of um, pruning. As I said, very poor, limited experience as a, a gardener, but... I'm, you know, if plants had feelings, I'm not imagining that pruning is a very pleasant process. Like, the reality is that something has to get cut off. But depending which side on the cut of the cut that you're on, there's a very different outcome, right? Pruning is for fruitfulness, greater fruitfulness, and whatever is pruned is still connected to the vine. But if you're cut off, you're disconnected from the source, from the thing that gives you the very life and sustenance and nutrients that you need to survive. This passage goes on to be continued with warnings of what happens if that's the place that a branch finds itself in. So being trimmed and pruned means that we still stay connected even though that may be a painful process. I came to to faith in Jesus a little bit later on in in life and have a a very messy uh, family history and background. And so my life and journey with Jesus has involved a lot of pruning. There's a lot of junk that Jesus has to deal with. And even after near 20 years of following Jesus, there is still work that Jesus is doing in me, still work that the Holy Spirit is doing in me, drawing attention to, putting his finger on and say, hey, you know what, Sly? This area of your life doesn't honor Jesus as it should. And so we need to trim that up or cut it off completely. The Holy Spirit is gentle enough to prune and trim and deal with the bits and pieces in our life that don't honour the Lord and cut them out. And sometimes for us in the moment that feels painful and horrible, but the reality is he is doing that so that we will be better reflections of Christ. And he is doing that for our good. The more and more we become like Jesus, the better it is for us and everyone around us. Okay, that's the first two verses. Let's keep going. Verse 3. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And Jesus is actually doing a little bit of wordplay here. We can't really pick it up in the the English too well, but in in the Greek there's kind of this hint, not totally overt, but that he's referring back to the Old uh, Testament sacrificial system and hinting at this idea of being purified and sanctified and being made holy. And they had to do it by the, the blood of animals. But Jesus here is saying that in him being connected to him, believing and trusting in the message that he is proclaiming, that he is the Messiah, that his kingdom is come and he's still coming in all its fullness, that you have been purified, made holy, when you trust in Jesus, I've already mentioned this, but how wonderful is, how beautiful, amazing news that the gospel gives us that when we are in Christ, we are made holy. That we have just as much right to stand before the throne of the God who made all things as his one and only son does because we stand in Christ. Jesus is the one who purifies us. 
By our faith in him, we have been made clean because of his sacrificial blood. There is no longer any need for any other sacrifice because Jesus washes what was red and scarlet, our sin that stained us at every level, washed white as snow. That's such a beautiful transformation that each and every believer goes through. All our junk, all our baggage, all our uh, past, all our regrets, all our present sin washed white as snow. Pure, holy, redeemed just by a relationship of trust. Just by believing Jesus is who he says he is. Just by believing Jesus is who he declares himself to be. And the benefits of an ongoing relationship with Jesus just continue to pour out. They, be, they are more and more realised and experienced in the life as, of a believer as we go on and journey with Jesus. We will see the gospel work more deeply in us because we are in him. A new life. And this is, this is the big idea that Jesus is trying to get across to in this passage today. It's remaining in Christ. Particularly the first, part of our, uh, first half of our passage, which is verses 1 through 8, it's this idea of remaining. If you've got a, a, a different translation, you might have the word abide in there. Um, that's not really a, a, a word that we use very often in this day and age. Did anyone use abide in a sentence this week outside of the context of Christian circles? No, I don't think so. If you look it up in the dictionary, actually, it often has a little bracket around it that says archaic. Do you know what that means? Real old school. Like, this is, this is a thing that is pretty much out of common usage in our day and age. But I think the reason that the church has held on to it is because it is so rich and packed full of meaning. Abiding speaks of this idea of living in, dwelling in, having such close proximity and relationship that there's it's almost hard to delineate where one thing starts and the other thing ends. There's an overlapping. Ever think about that in your relationship with Jesus? That to others, whether they're believers or not yet believers, that there should almost be an indistinguishable point about where the glory and magnificence of the God who lives in you starts and where you, in your earthly life and nature begin. Might be pushing the analogy a little bit too hard at that point, but when we are in Christ, we are hidden in Christ. We have a new nature, a new character, a new identity that is being changed into his likeness. That word, that f- the phrase that the uh, NLT uses, remain in Christ, that idea of abiding is repeated 10 times in our passage today. Jesus wants to make it abundantly clear that we are meant to have and find our life in him. This idea of a mutual indwelling is just repeated over and over and over again. And we could dig into that idea for hours probably get hungry by the time uh, I'm, I'm finished with that, but you could spend days or weeks meditating on this concept. It's so wonderful. It's so rich. There is so much on it. But let me put it really simply. Christian, your entire life, any and every aspect and part is meant to be influenced by, empowered by, lived in and through and by your relationship with Jesus. Your entire life, each and every aspect, empowered by the Holy Spirit that is in work, at work in you. There should be nothing, no part of your life, whether it's work or family or ministry or hobbies or rec- recreation that isn't touched, that isn't impacted, that isn't influenced by your relationship with Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's meant to permeate and penetrate into each and every aspect of who you are, changing your very nature and character from the core, from the inside out. When we actually do that, our lives will bear great gospel fruit. Now think of the profoundness of it. What's going on here at this moment? The I am 
proclaiming himself and revealing more of his character and nature and that he lives in us. That we can be constantly, continually connected to him, abiding in Jesus. The other alternative is disconnection. That's the worst thing for a branch. No source of life. No sustenance, no nutrients. They become unhealthy and dying very quickly. And even though just like Frankie, cut off for a moment, there are a few little uh, leaves that started to grow. Now, granted, some of the nutrients he needed were not provided by me, but um, the, the reality is that even though he looked like he was doing okay for a short period of time, the reality was beneath the surface he wasn't. Believer. <laughs> If you're a follower of Jesus and you were disconnected from Jesus, it might seem okay for a little while, but it's not going to be sustained in the long run. You need to be plugged into the source of life, of eternal life, of spiritual life, of the nutrients and sustenance. Have your life connected to Jesus. Your life will only be healthy if it is lived in complete and utter dependence on him. Jesus drives it home even more in the next section. Have a look at this. It says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burned. Man, what a harsh warning Jesus gives here as he repeats this I am statement. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you really believe that? Like, if if you ever think about it for a, a moment, if you are disconnected from Jesus, you can do nothing, nothing of kingdom value, nothing of great eternal worth. If we truly functionally, practically believe that day in, day out, do you think our lives would look different? Hey, I'm a professional follower of Jesus and I reckon my life could look different if I was more connected to Jesus. I think that's true for each and every believer. We need to be dependent on him, not just occasionally, not just church on Sunday, not just daily, but minute by minute, moment by moment. And any and every time that we realize that we've moved out of a place or space where we're not feeling that connectedness to Jesus, we need to run back to the foot of the cross, to the place where we find our sustenance, our nourishment, our connection to the vine. Amen? It would be clear and evident in our lives. And it always is. The time that you spend with Jesus, the priority that you make in what should be the most important relationship that you have, it will be reflected by how you live your life. Jesus uses a a similar analogy in another place, speaking about fruitfulness, and he says the world will know... um, Sorry, wrong one. He he speaks about... um, the, the reality that if we are followers of Jesus, the way that people will know is by the fruit that is produced in our lives. It's easy to see what is going on, the closeness, the depth of our relationship with Jesus by just looking at the fruit. That's a great test of self-awareness. Have a look. Is there gospel fruit growing in your life? Are there places and spaces where it could be more fruitful? Now, those of us that have been followers of Jesus for any length of time know that we're not going to be able to do this perfectly all the time. Please don't hear me saying that you need to do this perfectly because we can't. That's the reality. We need to be close to Jesus, but we're going to make a mess of it regularly. Over and over and over again. But we have a God that is so filled with grace and mercy that any time we make a mess, we can run back to the vine. We can run back to Jesus to be renewed, to be refreshed, to be reinvigorated. 
and have that source of life flow through us again. Uh, a wonderful analogy I love to use that helps drive this, this point, this idea home of our constant connection with Jesus, but the impact and influence from uh, a disconnection can be is, the, um, is like the parent-kid analogy. So I have, I have four kids. Um, there is nothing that anyone can do to change their biological makeup and make them not my kids, Right? pretty obvious. A lot of them have some very uh, distinguishing features that have been passed on from uh, me. My wife doesn't get a look in very much, sadly. Uh, I think she's much better looking than I am. Uh, but, you know, the kids just seem to pick that thing up. But the, the, the truth of it is, that there is there is nothing no one can do to change their biological makeup to make them not my kids. But there could be a relational impact where we don't have a good relationship because of what's going on. Now, the moment, you know, that might play out in a, a, you know, a small tiff where they're, you know, cranky about something, not getting what they want, and they, you know, don't want to talk to me or speak to me rudely or whatever it is. But if it happened in like the, you know, the most extreme way, and one of my kids becomes a teenager and gets jack of it and, and leaves home and emancipates himself from me, even though we have no functional relationship, they're still my kid. The same is true if you're a follower of Jesus. If you've put your faith and trust in him, there is nowhere that you can outrun the grace of God. There is nowhere that you can hide where your relationship... And so if you're in a place and space today where you feel like, man, I'm just not walking with Jesus as I should, and this uh, idea and reality, this theme that we're talking about, you're like, I'm feeling disconnected, run back to him. Know that you can be connected. Know that Jesus always waits with outstretched arms that he displayed most clearly in that pinnacle moment upon the cross. Sometimes we need our feelings and experience to match up with the reality of the truth. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves and remind ourselves that we are a child of God. We are adopted and welcomed in. We are embraced because of who Jesus is. All right, let's keep going. Verse 7. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. And this is uh, a wonderful truth. Jesus kind of re- repeats the same idea in verse 15 a, a little bit later on. Um, but just to touch on real quickly for a, seven, uh, sorry, for a moment, verse 7 uh, is real dangerous if you take it out of context and don't get the, the big picture idea. You know, pray and ask for whatever you want. Like I borrowed a, a dirty Hilux from my brother-in-law to drive up here this morning. Now, if I say, Jesus, can I please have a Ferrari for the trip home? Like that's not the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about, just to, you know, in case you miss that. But what needs to be highlighted as we look at that, it's just the first part of the verse. If we remain connected with Christ, if we remain in him and he remains in us, then we can ask for anything we want and it will be given. Why? Because we are becoming more like Jesus. We are praying more in line with his will and purpose because we are being changed into his likeness. That's where that empowering comes. Things for the kingdom, things for um, Christ's likeness, things for fruit in our lives. Those kind of prayers are the kind of prayers that will always be given to us. Always be gifted to us things that are in line with his will, his purpose, and we are more aware of that the more connected we are to his source. So here's the reality. Our new life in Christ, our new identity is meant to be marked by fruitfulness. Gospel fruit, Holy Spirit fruit being produced more and more in our lives. The Holy Spirit is constantly at work in us to make our character and nature more like Jesus. And our Father, who is the gardener and cares for us and prunes us and refines us and, and, and works in us, he should be given all glory and all honour and all praise when we are transformed more and more into the image of his glorious Son. Any increase in our faith, in our love, a deep desiring for prayer, in our obedience, in our ministry and mission, he deserves the praise for all those things because that's a work that he does in us. There's this 
wonderful moment that highlights how great the power of Jesus is. Just at the start, I talked about the the I am moments where Jesus doesn't make a a statement like I am the vine, but there's this moment where he declares I am. One of my favorites just displays the the power at work in Christ is in John 18. If you're uh, familiar with that, if you're not, have a look at it uh, this week. I'll just give you a real quick uh, sly paraphrase of it in the the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, the night before Jesus um, is, is condemned and crucified, he is with his disciples and an angry mob come out after him. Now, you might get the, the Disney movie kind of theme in your head and that's not too far off it. They have torches and, well, it says weapons, but maybe pitchforks, you know, that's kind of the, the picture I get. They're coming out after Jesus to uh, arrest him and as the crowd gets close to him, Jesus kind of steps forward and says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, I'll go that up. Um, and Jesus says, "What? I am." Do you remember what happens in that moment? It's like a ripple effect, like a, a pebble that hits the water, or like a, a sonic boom kind of comes out. And as Jesus says, "I am," there's a, a, an escaping of his true power, of the reality of his divinity, and this army that has come against him to arrest him literally draws back and falls over. I kind of get like the picture of a domino effect that, you know, the first row happens and the guys who are at the back are just legging it. Like they're they're gone. Can you imagine what it was like? Like you guys come to arrest me and I just let out two words and you all start falling over, knock backwards off your chairs. Like this is a ridiculous moment. And yet so often we get just, you know, comfortable with it and forget the power that is on display from Jesus at this moment. And yet if we ponder it for a minute, the one who is speaking a simple word is the same one who revealed himself at the burning bush, is the same one that spoke all things into existence by what? His word. So much power. And yet it is ludicrous that Scripture says the same power that was at work in Jesus, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in me? Is in work in you, believer? Do you get that? That each and every day you have that kind of power accessible, that kind of power at work in you? Remaining in Jesus is to be connected to the source of true power, of all spiritual power and holiness, power for transformation in your life. There is no sin that you cannot overcome because of the power of Christ is at work and lives in you. And most of you, I'm assuming, are going to have a mobile phone on you, right, in your, in your pocket or somewhere close. What happens if you don't put your phone on the charger at the end of the day? It doesn't take long until it runs out of power, right? Our spiritual life is just like that. If we don't go back to the source, if we don't connect and re-engage with Christ, we are going to be disconnected and not refueled, reinvigorated, recharged as we need to be to continue the battle that this earthly life is. Probably tell I get excited about speaking about this stuff. I'm hoping that you guys are as encouraged as I am working through this passage. Just a a couple of uh, other quick things as we um, drive this home now. I'm going to look at a a couple of other scriptures. But there's kind of this this point that in in our passage where there's a switch that happens here. Jesus is talking about the remaining in Christ. And then he switches to speaking about the outworking of that and the impact and effect that it will have. Have a look at verse 9 up here behind me. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I love my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And so as we remain connected to Christ, we are connected to the source of God's love, the way that the Father has loved Jesus And there's this flow of love to obedience to joy marked out here. Something else I just want you to ponder for a moment. When Jesus says we will know the love of the Father like he knows the love of the Father, do you you grasp that? 
get a hold of that? Like this is one of the members of the triune Godhead who has experienced perfect love, perfect relationship, perfect harmonious fellowship for all eternity. And he says that we can have and experience love like that by being connected to him, remaining in him, abiding in him. Jesus' love has its ultimate display upon a cross on Calvary's hill. We see his willingness to go through horrific suffering, mocking, slander, being spat upon so that we didn't have to be, taking the punishment that we deserved so that we could be loved, accepted, forgiven, redeemed, And have a relationship that is so close with him that we abide in him. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here today, know that you can have that too by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Come and have a chat to someone that you've seen at the front. Come and have a chat to me if you're in that spot. Would love to help you understand and know more about that relationship. Also, really quickly, um, here, this connection with obedience. This obedience is motivated by what? Love. It's not an obedience out of uh, duty, out of a sense of obligation. It's because of the love of God working in us. And as the love of God works in us, as we're transformed more and more to be like Jesus, we will just want to obey the things that he lays out for us to do. We won't be able to help it because we are becoming more like him. Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father because he always walked in that perfect love. We can grow in our ability to do that, yes, imperfectly, clinging to a perfect saviour, but we can be transformed and grow to do that more and more as we abide in Christ. And when we do that, we will find joy. You know who the most miserable people in our world are? Christians who aren't abiding in Jesus or have lives filled with unrepentant sin that they're willing to deal with or are disconnected Because they should have a life that is marked by obedience that leads to joy and yet they are disconnected from the source of that love and so all that striving, all that whatever it is just leads to them feeling shackled and bound. But there's always a freedom to run back to Jesus or to do that for the first time and know his love. He continues to go on. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. (laughs) Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends, and that's exactly what he did for us. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my commandment, love each other. What a high calling Jesus gives us. Man, just these few verses, there is so much theological richness packed in here, talking about uh, adoption, talking about God's love, talking about being appointed to bear fruit, talking about being chosen by Jesus, and all all these things, we're not going to touch on all of those, because we would not have time. Each and every one is worthy of a a sermon, probably even a whole sermon series in and of themselves. Um, Hope you can have some fun digging into that in your own time. But what I just want to highlight here as we um, come to a close is this obedience connection again. Jesus says that Um, we should be obeying these commands and the specific command he gives us here is to what? Love. Love one another. And not just in any way, but love one another like he has loved us. Man, imagine if the church actually lived that out. Man, imagine if the church actually lived that out inside the church Loving one another as Christ loved us, how, how wonderful, how beautiful that would be. But imagine if the church loved like that to a world who is lost and dying without Christ, love them like Christ loves us. 
Do you know what one of the most heartbreaking realities is being a Christian in our day and age? That the church is way more known for what it hates than what it loves. We need to love like Christ, love one another like Christ loved us. And that doesn't just mean the people that it's easy to get along with, the people that you enjoy the same things, the people that you have things in common with. Jesus loved his enemies. Jesus loved those of us, all of us, who had rejected, who had rebelled against him, loved us enough to lay down his life for us. Love one another as I have loved you. Huge. And it's okay to admit when you do that imperfectly. You have a moment where you know that you haven't loved a brother and sister in Christ well, let them know. Hey, I'm really sorry, I messed up. I didn't love you well in that moment. Can you forgive me? Whatever you do in your, your small groups when you connect um, throughout the week here, seek to love one another well in that way and be real and open when that doesn't happen. Ask for forgiveness. Offer forgiveness. Work that out so that we can more and more grow in our ability to love. And the reality is that you are only going to do that as well as... No, sorry. You, you are going to be able to do that better the more you stay connected to Jesus. The more you abide in his love, the more that his love is working in you, that is the thing that will overflow and empower you to love others. So let me just sum up the, the big idea real quick here as I close up. Remain in Jesus in a relational way, in a close proximity Remain continually. Seek to come back to him over and over again. And this will cause you to grow in his love. And as you do that, that love will naturally overflow out of you into the lives of others, both those that know him and those that don't. There should be an outward, tangible of expression of the love of Christ at work in you to the world around you, wherever that is. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.